Welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shannick. And we're so glad that you're joining us. Welcome all of you watching us on YouTube. Thank you for listening to us on your way to work or your way home from work or wherever you are. Again, if you haven't already, do so by leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends. Share it on your social media accounts. We appreciate all the love and support. We've gotten a lot of it over the last several months. Uh, maybe not so much after last week's episode, but we are going to come <laughs> back today with a good one in response to last week's episode. You know, if you haven't listened to last week's episode first, you need to go back and listen to it. Episode yes. 134, Seven Reasons Why Jesus Was Not Sacrificed for Your Sins. Now, again, we're not saying that that didn't happen on the cross, but that's not the actual reason for why Jesus had to die. We're going to talk about the seven reasons why Jesus had to die today. Yes, sin was involved, but that's not the ultimate reason and why. Well, you have to listen to last week's episode, but we did unpack the fact that Jesus was forgiving people's sins before the cross. Yeah, and you have to take time to account for that. It's one of the reasons why we even put out that episode, because, you know, while we were recording it or right before as we were talking about the episode, I was a little leery, I'm not going to lie, because I knew people would read maybe the title of the podcast and they would assume everything that we were going to say and label us a certain way or mm-hmm, for contradict sure. what we were saying. And of course that happened. You know, we had a few comments uh, immediately dismissing us and I'm sure without listening to the episode, Right. but it's so important to talk about. And and one of the reasons why um, I'm going to go back and say why it was so important for us to, to talk about and to really dissect all of these ways or reasons why Jesus did not have to die for sin. One of them being he was forgiving sin before the cross, but we want to remove this idea of separation. Mm-hmm. And that's what people think of when they think of Jesus dying for their sin. Well, I'm a sinful person because I'm a sinful person. God doesn't want anything to do with me. He has separated himself from me, but now we needed Jesus to come to take away those sins so that we can reconnect with God. Well, as we're even going to see a little bit later, right? It was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Mm-hmm. So we want to remove that idea of separation. You've never been separated from God. And we're going to go into the reasons why today Jesus had to die to show us that we were never separated. Yeah. And we can go through a whole lot of Old Testament scriptures as to show that sin had never separated you from God. It always is. Sin has real life consequences. Sin is a fruit. It's not the root. And even in Colossians, it says, you know, Jesus went to the Christ because we thought we were separated in In our our minds minds is the literal scripture. And again, how you think is the most important thinking you will do. We thought we were enemies. Thought we were enemies. Jesus didn't have any enemies. We're going to unpack some of those scriptures today. So today's going to be a good one. Uh, Last week, seven reasons why Jesus was not sacrificed for your sins. Today, seven reasons why Jesus had to die. And it's going to be a good episode. I, and I know some of these were influenced by Jamie Englehart. Shout out to him. Uh, we've added a whole bunch of stuff and we're going to unpack these. Let's just go right through it. No question of the week. We're just going to dive right into this because I know people have been waiting for our response to last right. week's episode. So, <laughs> yeah. So the first reason why we're going to say Jesus had to die. And one of the main reasons that I believe is that he actually had to die to defeat death and render powerless the one who had the power of death, which is the accuser. And really, and I know you actually referenced this uh, on uh, Sunday this past week Mm -hmm. preaching when you talked about like the great uh, schism Mm -hmm. that happened. And it was like this divide between Western and Eastern thought and orthodoxy. And the Western church, which would be like us Us, today, you know, in Christian evangelicalism, in uh, mostly European and America, 
Well, um, the Western church emphasized the sin part of it mm -hmm. and Jesus dying for sin. Well, the Eastern Orthodox church, they emphasized the death, but then the resurrection and they focused on the resurrection and how we don't have to fear death anymore, that we can wake up to the life that we have because Jesus rose from the grave. Yeah. So Western idea was on the cross. The Eastern idea idea was on the resurrection. And really we have a, we have a scripture, first Corinthians chapter 15, several of them actually 20 through 26. And I'm just going to take time to read it. Cause I think it's so good, but this is what Paul writes. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So he's talking about all these enemies that he's going to put <laughs> under his feet. And then he actually says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When did that happen? Through his resurrection, yeah. he put to death, death. Which is crazy. I don't think a lot of people focus on that scripture. That scripture, I just came across it like a year ago and was like, wait a second. We always have this assumption that God has enemies and those enemies are people, yeah. right? Yeah. God doesn't have any enemies. Even the people that don't accept him are not God's enemies. Literally this verse, verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 15 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that happened 2,000 years ago. Yeah which is another can of worms we got to unpack, but we probably won't. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about that he rendered death powerless. Yeah, and that's the reason why we started with this divide between Western and Eastern, you know, theology or ideology or orthodoxy, uh, thinking about the idea that they focus on the resurrection because mm -hmm. it was the last enemy to be destroyed, death. Yeah. And let's celebrate that. Let's live from that perspective, not mm -hmm. focusing on, our sin and our mess ups and everything else. No, we focused on the life that we have because of him. Yeah. And I quoted the great theologian Lil Wayne this past week, <laughs> just about, you know, his, what a, his incredible rap verse where he says, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. And when you just truly examine that, it's so, it's so real because we, a lot of people are just going through life in routine and they're not recognizing the life that they have because of Christ. And they're not aware of, of living yeah. really. Number two is this to be a sign for all of humanity of love and forgiveness, to open our eyes to who we have always been. Again, we talked about this last week, and this was the point of the episode, is Jesus forgave people before the cross. Therefore, it means that the cross did not create forgiveness. It simply demonstrated it. And I'll say that again because yeah, that is good. phenomenal. The cross did not create an avenue for Jesus to forgive. The cross revealed and demonstrated forgiveness. Why? Because it was a sign to all of humanity of love and forgiveness. Why? What the Romans used for fear and death since they created, well, actually the Persians created the crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. Uh, Jesus used this image for healing and forgiveness. In John 15, 13, an incredible verse, no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what Jesus was showing. Hey, people always say, uh, this actually goes against the whole, oh man, there's this conversation on, is Jesus a pacifist? And a lot of people, especially American Christians are like, let's remove this pacifist Jesus. Well, 
the greatest showmanship of pacifism is Jesus on the cross. He could have gotten down, but he humbled himself and died for humanity, not just to render death powerless, but to show us what true love and forgiveness looks like. Yeah. Which is crazy when you think about it because I don't I don't live that way. Yeah. I, I would have gotten down the, from the cross and been like, boom, suckers. <laughs> you know, like, no, I get it. And what's very, I'm going to say just ironic is this idea that uh, the most uh, non-pacifistic, is that a word? Maybe. Uh, display that Jesus really walked in was what? Whenever he was coming against the religious system and the religious people of his day, calling them, you know, thieves and a brood of vipers and, you know, basically just trying to demolish everything that they were about. Mm-hmm. That's when he was non-pacifistic. Sure. Yeah. Right? But yeah. the very people that want Jesus to be non-pacifistic most of the time are this very legalistic religious sect, which they would be the very people Jesus would be confronting. You know, would be confronting. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I don't I know. I don't I know. think just, about it like that. <laughs> I don't know. It just popped in there. Yeah. Good one. I like it. <laughs> the, the third reason we're going to talk about very quickly is um, one of the reasons why Jesus had to die was to be a scapegoat and buy it to end all scapegoating and sacrifices. So he was the once for all sacrifice. Now we talked a, a little bit about scapegoating last week, but mm-hmm. it was this idea where like there was this transference of sin that the priests in the Old Testament and Old Covenant would come, they would sacrifice the bulls and things, but then they would get a goat, lay their hands on the goat as the transference of sin from the people on the goat, and they would lead it outside of the city or the gate for it to roam, like in the wilderness, do Mm -hmm. whatever. So it was this idea that, you know, sin was leaving the camp. But with Jesus and what he did, he put an end to all of that, Mm -hmm. that there was never going to be a sacrifice again. And really, um, if we think about it, sacrifice was never really God's desire. Yeah. And it's crazy though, because (laughs) this is one of those things that we can see some contradictions or at least ask the question, you know, well, did God desire sacrifice and burnt offerings or not? Well, there's all kinds of scriptures that say, you know what? Yes, God does desire sacrifice and burnt offerings. And this is according to uh, uh, Exodus 20, 24, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 16, 6, Deuteronomy 27, 6. Deuteronomy 33, 10, Leviticus 1, Leviticus 6, Isaiah 43, 23, Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel 44, Ezekiel 45, Ezekiel 46. All these places, they're specific references to God desiring sacrifice. Well, the answer can also be no, he does not desire (laughs) sacrifice and burnt offerings. And I can quote a lot of them, uh, a lot of these verses as well. Psalm 40, verse 6, Hebrews 10, 5 and 6, Psalm 51, 16 and 7. Hosea 6, 6, Isaiah 1, 11, Amos 5, 12, Isaiah 66, 3, Micah 6, 6 through 8, Psalms 50, 13 through 15, Mark 12, 32 through 24, Jeremiah 6, 20, Jeremiah 7, 22 through 23. Now we bring up all of these because these are instances that say God desires sacrifice and burnt offerings and then other places God does not desire sacrifice. And so when we, when we look at that, like we have to see that. Um, whether whatever side you're on with that, Jesus put an end. He was the final answer. Yeah. Well, we can go one step further. That last verse you quoted, Jeremiah seven twenty two to twenty three. It goes beyond whether or not God desired it. It says literally that God never even asked for it to begin with. Which is like, wait, what? Yeah. I, th- I thought I thought he did. Go read Jeremiah seven twenty two and twenty three. It, it'll kind of 
bring some light to wait a second maybe god maybe there are authors that have projected their own ideology into the scriptures and say this is what god said to do yeah because now now you have three opinions did god say it yes did god say it no did god even want it no <laughs> right like wait okay they all have scriptural background and this cross actually produces a radical mind shift when you think about it and the fourth one is this uh he died on the cross to identify with the victim and all human suffering he emptied his love for humanity first peter 221 is a great verse for this one he says to this you were called because christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps and that is radical when mm -hmm. you think about it and how this translates in your life okay most of us are not going to lay down our literal lives for someone else but figuratively we should be and we should be serving and sacrificing for all of humanity and pouring out our life in love to the world yeah it's the example that he set. it is Another reason why Jesus had to die is to be an offering of reconciliation, peacemaking, and salvation. So he died for us and as us. Now, Jesus did not die for our sins, but because of our sins. Now, mm -hmm. right, I know you talk about this a lot, like we don't need a Savior because we're bad or broken. We need a Savior for connection and relationship. Matter of fact, we even did a whole episode on this idea of salvation. It's the Greek word sozo means to be complete, to be healed, to be made whole. And we know, and I just believe that Jesus accomplished all that and making us those things right through his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter five, he says, um, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, right? So Jesus is acting on the cross. God was with Christ, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And I love this, not counting people's sins against them. Hmm. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Which is our assignment on earth, is yep. to be people of reconciliation. The sixth one is this, is to reimagine the world and start a new creation. I get asked this question all the time, well, why doesn't God just start over? Technically he did, you know, Jesus put on flesh to show all of humanity that up to that point they had gotten God wrong. and. He was going to humble himself so much to even put on flesh to be like, look, y'all got it wrong. I'm going to show you exactly what God is like and who God has always been, who God will always be. And that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so he created a new creation based on love and forgiveness, not blood and sacrifice. No one has been born in Adam for 2000 years. All are born in Christ, but not all know they are born in Christ. And this is our job to bring awakening to people to recognize, hey, uh, I'm not to speak to the sin in you. I'm to speak to the son, Jesus in you and help you awaken to that. Second Corinthians 5 even talks about this as well. We'll go just two verses earlier than what you read for that previous one, uh, verses 16 and 17. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Pause. Wait a second, what? Yeah, that verse is a challenge to us to not regard anyone from a worldly point of view. I love how Acts even says it. I'm supposed to call nobody impure or unclean. Man, maybe those are the only two verses you need to memorize and live for the rest of your life and watch how the gospel just spreads through you like crazy. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old gone, the new is here. And then as what you just read, all are in Christ and since the cross. So, Yeah. Well, this that's Romans 5. Yeah. But yeah, back to the beginning of the episode, 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ 
all will be made alive. Now, I just want to just drop a little point here real quick. So many people that I know are so fearful of this idea of, let's just call it universalism, Mm -hmm. that everybody is reconciled and saved. Um, the, The funny thing is, a lot of the people that are against that actually do believe in universalism, but just through Adam. (laughs) for an Adam all die all have been made sinful so they do believe in universalism when it comes to sin and yet what Christ did on the cross they don't see as more powerful that he rose from the dead they don't see that act more powerful than what Adam did so they can't believe that even though you know Paul tells us in Corinthians for as an Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive and what you were just talking to uh, talking about and referencing Romans 5.18 just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people so also one righteous act just resulted in justification and life for all people. Yeah. So who's more powerful, Adam or Jesus? I'm going to side on the side of Jesus. Just which interesting. Is, yeah, it's very thought-provoking. Again, we're not saying that belief is not important. Belief is important, but belief doesn't make it true. Belief awakens you to the reality that it has always been true. And yep. uh, I was actually listening to Steve McVeigh. He's one of the teachers at Global Grace. Love this guy. He's got a great book uh, on the anger of God and how we've misunderstood it. I, w- I was listening to the podcast and he used this illustration. He said, a lot of times in the New new Covenant, uh, people are talked about uh, as people who are awakened to Christ, they have sight, and people who are not awakened to Christ, they are blind. And he says, if I took a blind man to, figuratively speaking, to the beach, and I we were watching the sunset together, and I was describing to this blind guy how amazing the sunset was, he goes, all of a sudden, I, this guy receives sight and gets to witness what I just witnessed. Before he was, when he was blind, that sunset was still a reality. He was just blind to it. It didn't make it less true. It didn't make the event not happen. But now that he was awakened to it or could have sight and see it, he gets to revel in the beauty, what I was reveling in. And he goes, this is the gospel message. It's, it's true for all people. Many people are not awakened to it, and our job is to help awaken to it. Your belief doesn't make it true. It has always been true. Your belief activates the truth so that you can walk in confidence as a proper son or daughter living in the royal family. Yeah. Again, so that, it's a declaration, it's not a, an invitation. It's a declaration. Not a, it's a proclamation. I <laughs> love that. I love it. Yeah. And then the seventh and final reason that we're going to talk about, one of the last reason why Jesus had to die was to fulfill the law and redeem the lost sheep of Israel. So... Jesus had to die, not for the sins of the world, although that happened, but rather he died to free us from the old covenant marriage. And you can read all about this, uh, Hebrews chapter nine, for instance, you can just go through the whole chapter. I know even our book transitioned, um, Mm -hmm. really helps open your eyes on this idea where the old covenant marriage was done away with. There was this transition period and then the new covenant fully established in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple because there could then be no more sacrifice for sin. We unpack all of that in the book and I encourage you to get that resource. And just kind of to wrap up the episode, just want to say that the cross was not man's sacrifice to God, but God's sacrifice to man. It was the ultimate picture of love and this love removes shame guilt, condemnation, sin, and death. Mm-hmm. So live in that life. So again, to repeat the, for the seven reasons why Jesus had to die, to defeat death and render powerless the one who had the power of death, 
Number two, to be a sign for all of humanity of love and forgiveness. Remember, the cross did not create forgiveness. It simply demonstrates it. Number three, to be a scapegoat and by it to end all scapegoating and sacrifice because according to Jeremiah 7, God never even wanted it. Number four, to identify with the victim and all human suffering. He can relate to you and your pain right now because he has experienced it. Number five, to be an offering of reconciliation, peacemaking, and salvation. Number six, to reimagine the world and start a new creation. Number seven, to fulfill the law and redeem the lost sheep of Israel. We do believe in the cross. We think it's incredibly powerful, but the cross is not the symbol of Christianity. We are thankful for the cross, but the empty tomb is the symbol of Christianity. Christ got up to to give you life, power, to understand that you have authority here on the earth to go bring love and restoration to all of humanity. Yeah, and that act is one of the reasons why we end the episode the same every way, because it is true about you, uh, and we want you to wake up to it and begin to believe it about yourself, that it is true. But just know, you are loved, and there is nothing you can do about it. 